Well, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12, 1 to 13, and in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. These verses are printed in your bulletin. From Romans, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then from 1 Peter 4, Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we open your word, we need your spirit to move. So Holy Spirit, illuminate every mind, every heart, open every eye, open all of our ears, that we might see anew the glorious gospel and be transformed by who we already are and who you're calling us to be. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last fall, the elders of our church, the session, had a great sense of or burden for, as they, we always do, for the people of our church. How can we best tend to the sheep of this flock? What are the things that might be tempting them to conform to the pattern of the world, the very thing Paul's talking about? There are many things that we talk about, pray about, think about often. And the burden in the hearts of the elders was to ask the pastoral staff to preach a series of sermons on what it means to be good stewards of all that God has given us. And so last Sunday, Pastor Paul Goebel began this journey of a five or six week series on being stewards of God's grace. It's not primarily centered just on money. It's centered on all the things that God has given us. And what's really at the root of this is a joy, a joy that we receive when we understand correctly who we are in Christ, how we are to think about ourselves, 
Who owns everything and how are we to serve? So this morning with the text before us, what I wanna do is talk about identity, I wanna talk about ownership, and I wanna talk about service. Last, or two Sundays ago, Brian Chapel preached from this very text, at least the first two verses of it, Romans 12, one and two. How many of you remember that? Just curious. Um, I figured most of you remembered it, but I would imagine like me, many of you have moved on quickly from that sermon two weeks ago, or even from last week when Paul preached so beautifully about the lavish grace of God. Well, one of the problems that we have is with so much information available and coming at us, we simply move on very quickly. C.S. Lewis talks about that in Mere Christianity when he says, we are like one who puts paint on ourselves as opposed to stain. Paint covers the surface but doesn't really penetrate, whereas stain soaks right in. Many things Brian Chapel said two weeks ago have continued to bring me great hope, a great sense of who I am in Christ, but none more than when two weeks ago this Sunday from Romans 12:1, he really hammered the idea of our identity. If you were here, you will remember him highlighting over and over again that we are, those who are in Christ, we are already seen by God the Father as holy and acceptable. It's not something that we one day will be seen as, that's true too, but it's already started now. So when we seek to understand how we would ever be good stewards of the gifts of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, it begins with identity. And Paul shows us that. Look back with me again at verse 12.1. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers. When Paul uses a word like brothers or a word like sisters, it's not this biological connection that he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual connection which is the essence of everything. He's saying that we are brothers in Christ, that that union with Christ makes us more than just a connected couple based on worldview. When he speaks of sisters in Christ, he's talking about something far greater than just a biological connection or even having a common worldview. There's a union that exists that is profound. When Paul says brothers, he is reminding those who are reading this that they're part of something much greater than themselves. And again, those words, holy and acceptable. Last night there was a wedding here in the church. Brent Baker, I hope you still remember Brent. He's down in Austin now serving a church there, a great church. He was the one who officiated that wedding. It's a joy to officiate weddings. It's so wonderful to stand before a husband and a wife or a bride and a groom who are about to give themselves to one another. Most couples go through premarital counseling seeking to understand the best possible ways they can be prepared. One of my favorite books is called When Sinners Say I Do, but I do not like the title. And the reason I don't like the title is because it's not that it's not true, it's just that sinner is not a believer's primary identity. I like the title When Saints Say I Do, because yes, you're marrying a sinner, but that is not his primary identity. Yes, you're marrying a sinner, but that is not her primary identity. Every wedding I do now, and I've done this for probably a decade, I make sure and say to the groom, 
you are about to marry a woman who is the beloved child of the living God, already holy and acceptable in his sight. That's who you are marrying. And I say to the woman, you are about to marry a man who is the beloved son of the living God, already holy and acceptable in his sight. Yes, he is going to sin against you. And yes, you are going to sin against him. But this is who you are. And this is your primary and your permanent identity. And it really matters. Here's why. When Paul starts Romans 12, he urges the people to remember what he has just said for 11 chapters. And this is one of the themes that he highlighted about our identity. Verse 14 of chapter eight, Paul writes, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God, children of the living God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's a tender word for God. It means daddy. It's intimate. I think about that song. We can run into the arms of God because of Jesus. We will be running into the arms of God. He then says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also belong with him. This is our identity. If we are to have generous hearts, it begins with a proper understanding of who we already are. Yes, you fall short. Yes, I fall short. I'll speak more about that in about two minutes. But this is who we already are in Christ. It's one thing to think rightly about who we are. It's quite another, though, to know how we're to think about ourselves. And so I'm just going to be blunt. You think way too highly of yourself, almost all the time. And so do I. Is that direct? It takes one to know one. I think so highly of myself. And I'm so sad that I do, but I do. And so do you. Paul knew that as well. And so when he is teaching the people who will be receiving this letter, he says in verse three, for by the grace given to me, do you think Paul thought highly of himself? I mean, before Jesus especially, but maybe even after. But by the grace given to him, he is gonna set us free with these words. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The word that the, in the Greek which speaks of thinking more highly is a word that's pronounced hooperprophonio. And what it means is to speak or think higher of yourself in an exaggerated sense. And we're all tempted to do it. Even in the area of humility, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. 
Philip's translation, which I love the way he had carried this along, says, don't cherish exaggerated ideas of self. Now, you may not say that out loud to other people in this just bragging manner, but you might keep it inside and think constantly, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not as stupid as them. I'm glad I'm not as lazy as them. I'm glad I have more zeal than them. And in every case, you are elevating yourself and you do not have a generous heart. I don't care how much you give of yourself or give of your things. Paul is laying the foundation of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And he begins with this. If you have God's mercy, don't conform to the pattern of the world. And then he says, do not think too highly of yourself. But he says, think of yourself with sober judgment. This word is sophronio. The word actually means saved. It means sound. And what he's saying is, think of yourself with a, a saved mindset, with a sound mindset. This is who you are. Now from this, this is how you are to think of yourself. The reason I think this is so important is that I see it all the time. Not that many weeks ago, I was meeting with a couple in my office, and I'm gonna be honest, I was so impressed with their zeal. I was so impressed with their desire to give more and more of themselves and their things away. They were eager to champion some new things, to support others, and it was an amazing conversation. But at the very end, the name of another person came up who's actually a sister in Christ. And immediately, like a blowtorch was lifted, this woman torched her sister in Christ. There wasn't even a pause. There wasn't even a sense that this might be wrong, even in the presence of a pastor. I was bewildered. I did not know what to even say. Then I thought, I actually do. But am I going to? They quickly left my office. I don't think they had any idea of how conflicted I was. And I bring that up, not so you'll begin to think right now, I wonder who it was. We were with Mark not long ago, was it us? You probably know if it's you, and the truth is it is. At some point recently, you've probably torched a brother or sister in Christ. Why? Because you think so highly of yourself. Even if the individual has sinned, even if they have fallen, guess what? They need grace. They need the same thing you need, but it's so easy to just simply light the match and set the forest on fire. Don't think so highly of yourself, ever. When somebody bothers you, when you see somebody who's not living accordingly to the way they should, Generosity should be at play. This couple, so generous in so many ways, but not in their thoughts and attitudes towards that sister in Christ. And there was no question that she was a sister. I would bring that up simply because I haven't seen that once in my office in 19 years of being here, but I see and hear it every week. I hear it in my own mind when I'm tempted. And I am. Even that day as they left, where did my mind go? I'm glad I'm not like them. 
I'm glad I would never do that. That's not true, is it? <sighs> Identity, who we are, those three people, the couple and the woman they talked about, about, they are beloved children of the living God, seen right now as holy and acceptable. How are they all, how are we all to think about ourselves? With sober judgment, saved perspective, sound perspective, not with an exaggerated, cherished sense of, I am a brilliant theologian. I am a brilliant surveyor of sociology. I am none of that, but I actually do things besides talk about it. I'm a servant. You see, what happens is all of a sudden we are thinking so highly of ourselves that we're comparing one another, even to the gifts that God has given. There's no place for it. No place for it. Thank God for his grace. The second point I wanna make on ownership, I think, is what leads us to the freedom. One of the things that helps us to learn and remember that we shouldn't think highly of ourselves is that we actually don't own anything, including the gifts that have been given to us. Listen to this verse from Psalm 24.1. It's the first verse that follows Psalm 23. Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Job 41.11 says this, God is speaking to Job and God says, whatever is under the heavens is mine. So you actually own nothing. I own nothing. Now, my name's on a title of a house. It's on a title of a couple of cars. I have a closet full of clothes, mostly outdated, but I would call them my clothes. Truth is, we need to have the right perspective, God's perspective on ownership. And it's God who owns everything, not just some things, everything. Not just a portion of your finances, all of your finances. Now, right now, you're feeling either freedom or tension. For those in Christ, it must be freedom. Because what is about to be proclaimed, we would never make up. God who owns all things sees fit to give us, his people, many things. Not just to receive them as gifts to play with, but to be stewards, entrusted managers. Not with just a portion, but with everything that he has given us, including the spiritual gift or gifts that he has given you. If he's given you a great mind, praise God. You did nothing to deserve that. You received it. As a steward of that gift, use your mind to bring God glory, to help people. Has he blessed you with resources? The answer is yes, if you're in this church. All of us, some less than others for sure. Praise God. He didn't call you to be just a receiver of those gifts, but a steward, not the steward just a percentage, but all of them. They're his. How do you want to use them? There's so much freedom and joy in this. One of the best pictures of what this looks like comes from the Gospel of John. John the Baptist, I wish I was alive to see him. 
I think. He might have been pretty terrifying, actually. But John the Baptist is saying, prepare the way. He has people following him. He's baptizing them. And then Jesus is now on the scene. This happens not far after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, when we have that great verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So now a discussion breaks out between John's disciples and a Jew, and it's over purification. Verse 26 of John 3 says this, and they came to John, that's John's disciples, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, that's Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. I'm sure they were concerned. All these people have been coming to you. Now they're going to him. What's going to happen to our little gathering, which probably wasn't very little? John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Whatever you have received, it's been given to you from heaven. Whatever, not just some things, all things. John continues, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And when we have the right understanding of identity, who we are, what we're to think about ourselves, when we have the right idea of ownership, honestly, joy fills us. Not the fear of losing. Joy fills us. Joy, the joy of giving all for the sake of Christ. So John then says this famous statement, no more humble words by a human ever proclaimed. He must increase, I must decrease. John understood who he was and how he was to think about himself. Our elders in praying and thinking about the best ways to shepherd this flock identified 11 principles of stewardship that we're gonna be unpacking over the next few weeks. These were adopted from what our denomination, denominational leaders did. And the very first principle is this, God is sovereign. That means all powerful, all knowing, giver of all, in control. God is sovereign. And we recognize him as exercising divine ownership over all things. All things. God owns all things. There's nothing you can say to God. That is yours, but this is mine. Well, you can say it if you want. But the truth is, God is the owner of all things. He owns the books in my library. He owns the gift that he gave me. He owns this, his church, this, his building. God is the owner of all things. We, continuing this principal statement, we are only stewards entrusted by God. That's what's amazing. We are only stewards, not owners. 
stewards. But we are stewards of what the owner has given us. And that means everything that he's given us is to be stewarded for his glory. All of our money, all of our gifts, all of our time, all of our talents. And when we stand before him, even this side of heaven, waiting for his return, we ask him, how do you want to use that which you have entrusted to me for your glory? Because he does want to use it, which is the last point. Identity, ownership, and now service. Look with me back at Romans 12. In verse 6, it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, by who? The owner of all things, including spiritual gifts. We all have different gifts. He says, let us use them. And then he goes through and has many lists. And this list isn't exhaustive. Some of you have the gift of serving. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of generosity. Some of you have the gift of truly selflessly moving behind the scenes and others you have the gift of being up front in leadership. Paul makes it clear, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we receive them, let us use them. Peter echoes the same truth in 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Look with me there. As each has received a gift. So it's not a question of whether you've received one. You have. You may need to discern what it is. We would delight to help you do that. He then says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve who? One another. Your brother and your sister in Christ. Love them. Serve them. Peter writes on, as good stewards of God's very grace. And then Peter gives two very significant indicators to very significant points that he emphasizes. One, it is to be done to the glory of God, never to self. And that's hard because we as a people recognize people being faithful with gifts. Sometimes we're jealous. Sometimes we're envious. Sometimes we're just pleased. And when we comment or encourage, the temptation is for the individual then to what? Think more highly of themselves. Oh, you're brilliant. Oh, you're such a servant. You're so selfless. You're so humble. I know. Tell me more, right? We are prone to do that. And we should encourage one another. But when we encourage one another, either by being the encourager or receiving it, just remember, I don't own that. I received that. My identity is regardless of whether I'm faithful or not, I'm still the beloved child of the living God, holy and acceptable. Thank you. Don't think more highly of yourself. Peter says, we do it all to the glory of God. But he also says something else. And it's not printed here, so you might miss it. Right before Peter gave us these words about our gifts, how to use them for the glory of God, in 1 Peter 4 verse 7, he says, the end of all things is near. And he's right. He believed it. I believed he believed Christ would return before he died. I don't know that for sure, but I believe he probably did. And I believe the people following him believed that. And so they began to live with a sense of urgency with those gifts that had been given. 
It's time to use them. It's time to go to work, not in our own flesh, but in the power of God for his glory. It's not enough just to know that you have a gift. It's not just enough to know that God is the owner of all things. It's actually using those gifts now with a sense of urgency. But interestingly, he says right after that, therefore be clear-minded and sober so that you're not running around crazy, but you are living with a sense of urgency. Peter was right. The Holy Spirit was carrying him. The end of all things is near. So I'm going to say the same thing. The end of all things is near, and it's nearer than it was when Peter wrote this. It's 2,000 years nearer. So let's, by God's grace and for his glory, recognize who his word says we are. Let's think rightly about ourselves. Let's remember he owns it all, all. And he wants to entrust us to be good stewards of it, which includes using the gifts now, all for his glory, all for our good. That's God's plan. Isn't that amazing? The joy that we have when we live this way sets us free from the very things that would keep us tangled up, bound in the pursuit of our own self-importance, our own selfish desires. There is freedom in receiving and in giving that which the owner of all has entrusted to us. Jesus, I know none of us could make this up. The plan to send you who fully understood who you were, who understood what the Father owns, who understood the calling of your earthly life to be the lamb, and you served perfectly. You said so in Mark's gospel when you wrote, God is not a man that he should lie, that came in limitations. Forwarded to Mark 10, 45, where you said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Holy Spirit, would you empower us even this day for your glory to surrender again our life to you. Understanding you are the owner of all, we have been entrusted as good stewards. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.